This is such a unifying American value going back to our original DNA as a country that when rights and, and freedoms are trampled on, all Americans stand up. It's just guardrails of democracy increasingly being hit. And that is a wake up call for, for folks. A wake up call. I'm wide awake. I could use a nap at this point, please. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't, but we'll fix I'm it. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, hey. Here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, we just got a good ruling out of Arkansas, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I want to try to get to a whole bunch of stuff that sort of seems random. It sort of seems miscellaneous, and it sort of is. But there is some connective tissue, I think, (laughs) throughout all of it. Uh, Some of it I've been trying to get to for days. Others just coming in, all of which I believe underscores the necessity of, wait for it, voting this year. Yes, to protect that those guardrails of democracy that uh, are, are being hit, as you heard Pat Ryan speaking yes. about after his huge, stunning, fantastic uh, win up in New York's 19th Congressional District on Tuesday in a year that the Republican absolutely should have won that race. The necessity of voting this year is, frankly, unprecedented, I would argue, in all 50 states. So let's start here. Uh, Donald Trump's disgraced former Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, remember him? Oh, definitely. He's now the leading contender to win a new U.S. House seat to represent Montana this fall after barely winning his Republican state primary back in June. Well, uh, as we learned late on Wednesday, Zinke lied to investigators several times about conversations that he had with federal officials, lawmakers, and lobbyists about a petition by two Indian tribes to operate a casino in New England while he served as the Interior Secretary. That, according to the Interior Department's 
Inspector General in a report released on Wednesday. Investigators with the IG's office concluded that when questioned about his talks with interior attorneys and others outside the department, Zinke and his then chief of staff simply lied. They just lied, uh, failing to comply with their, quote, duty of candor, duty of candor as a public official. Quote, we found that both Secretary Zinke and his chief of staff made statements that presented an inaccurate version of the circumstances in which the Interior Department made key decisions. The report says Zinke and the chief of staff did not comply with their duty of candor when questioned. In other words, they just lied. Investigators found that Zinke and his chief of staff, quote, made statements to the Office of Inspector General investigators with the overall intent to mislead them. Of course he did. That's what he does. That's, that's how it works. That's how it works. If you are tapped to be in the Trump administration, that's sort of a requirement. That's the job <laughs> requirement at the top of the list. You must be able to lie even to uh, public officials, inspector generals, uh, you know, uh, law, law enforcement officials. In this case, the watchdog uh, team began their investigation back in 2017, yes, under the Trump administration, trying to determine if Zinke had been improperly influenced by Nevada Republicans and the MGM Resorts International Company, which all opposed the casino that was planned by competitors. The tribes wanted to open a gambling facility in Connecticut, which was opposed all the way out there in Nevada. Well, of course, it's competition. This was a request that required federal approval, apparently. Zinke neither granted nor denied the petition. Instead, he sent it back to the tribes. His action became the subject of intense scrutiny at Interior and the White House during Trump's first months in office. According to the report, Zinke told investigators that he based his decision on the recommendation of attorneys in Interior's solicitor's uh, office. Well, that makes sense. He doesn't know. He wants to make sure, do it all right by the books, talk to the attorneys, see what they have to say. But that was a lie. Yeah, as it turns out, the uh, attorneys at Interior denied that they even spoke with Zinke, that they gave him advice, or that they approved his decision not to take a, p a position on this petition. People, Oops. People Zinke denied uh, a meeting. Uh, with actually said that they had regular contact with him. So the people he said he met with, he didn't meet with. The people he said he didn't meet with, turns out he did <laughs> and had regular contact uh, with him uh, to press him to deny the application. That according to emails and other documents that were obtained by investigators. Now, they interviewed Zinke and the chief of staff twice back in 2018 before he announced his resignation late in that year under a cloud of ethics investigations, including this one. In a harsh rebuttal included in the report's appendix, however, Zinke blamed the inspector general's office. <laughs> of course he did. Because he says they released their findings so close to the November midterm elections, and he argued it should be released after the election so that apparently voters would not be able to base their decision on documented facts about this liar's character or something like that. 
Yes, he is the Republican nominee for a brand new U.S. House seat to represent Western Montana, and he is favored to win it. Uh, so you would think that this information would be important to voters in Montana. And in fact, the reason, even though this uh, investigation began so many years ago, the reason that it was delayed, which Zinke was critical about, Washington Post reports that it was delayed because tr the uh, Trump administration's own Justice Department had received a criminal referral from the inspector general on this matter in late 2018 for potential criminal violations. And they took over two and a half years to review it, tying the inspector general's hands. In the meantime, the inspector general's report comes six months after the uh, same office accused Zinke of also lying about his role in negotiations over a land deal in his hometown of Whitefish, Montana. Remember that controversy? Oh, heavens, yes. They found there as well. He lied when he told federal ethics officials that his involvement in that deal was minimal. In fact, his uh, meeting with the uh, project's developers at Interior headquarters, he said that was purely social. And then, yes, once again, email and text messages told a completely different story. In fact, they showed that Zinke communicated with those developers 64 times <laughs> to discuss the design of the project, the use of his own foundation's land for the project, and his own interest in operating a brewery on the site. He also represented uh, his family's foundation during the negotiations for near, nearly a year, despite having agreed to not do any work for the foundation while he was working for the Trump administration. Yes, he was trying to make deals with people who, with uh, groups and organizations mm -hmm. that had business before the Interior Department when he was Interior Secretary, trying to make some little side deals for himself while he was at it. And here's sort of the kicker on this story. Despite the protests from Zinke about the timing of this report, he called it a, quote, political hit job by the Biden administration. Well, uh, the Interior Department's Inspector General is a guy by the name of Mark Greenblatt. He oversaw the investigation and he was appointed by, you guessed it, Donald Trump. Other than that, totally a political hit job by the Biden administration. Now, Washington Post doesn't mention it for some reason, but the uh, Democratic nominee for the first congressional district running against Zinke in November is Monica Tranel. And while I know folks, you know, may think of Montana as a red state, don't forget until 2020, they had a Democratic governor elected statewide. So, yes, please get to work, Montana voters. Do you really need this unbelievably corrupt liar back in federal office representing your great state next year? I don't think so. And speaking of terrible candidates, it's kind of amazing to me that of all the Senate races where Democrats are doing much better than expected, according to a recent polling, and may be able to flip currently Republican Senate seats to Democratic in uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, maybe even Ohio, North Carolina, even Florida, with all of those possible pickups for Democrats, I cannot believe that it is even a close race in the great state of Georgia, where the great senator, uh, Raphael Warnock, 
uh, Democratic senator is still actually said to be in a tight race with the awful and embarrassing Trump-backed former football star Herschel Walker to try and keep that Senate seat blue this year. And as horrible as Ryan Zinke was, uh, in fact, for the climate and environment while serving as Donald Trump's corrupt interior secretary, Herschel Walker, if it's possible, is even worse on such issues as he regurgitates whatever he hears on Fox News and then he adds some nonsense to it to make it even worse and and more incomprehensible. Well, uh, as Washington Post's John Wagner reminds us this week, Herschel Walker, the former NFL football player who was encouraged to run by former President Donald Trump, has made head-scratching comments that have drawn ridicule. Head-scratching being a very nice way to put it. (laughs) Very Uh, polite. In a July 9 appearance, for example, that you may recall, he spoke about climate change, suggesting that Georgia's Quote, good air decides to float over to China. Well, the audio is a bit difficult to understand, but in case you forgot, here's just a reminder of those comments from last month. We need energy for everything. Do y'all know that? And they would talk about the Green New Deal. You know, climate change. I'm going to help y'all with that real quickly. We, in America, have some of the cleanest air and cleanest water of anybody in the world. So what we do is we're going to put from the Green New Deal millions or billions of dollars cleaning our good air up. So all of a sudden China and India ain't putting nothing in their cleaning that situation up. So all that bad air is still there. But since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China, bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good air space. And now we got to clean that back up. Yeah, doesn't work like that, but there you go. So I uh, hope you could hear enough to understand how just absurd that was. That was last month. And now this same super genius running against, frankly, an actual super genius in uh, Raphael Warnock for the U.S. Senate in Georgia. In a campaign appearance on Sunday... Walker reiterated his opposition to the Inflation Reduction Act. There is, by the way, though he said it, I think, twice there, there is no actual Green New Deal. Correct. It was never passed. But Fox likes to pretend that there is. So guys like Walker, you know, go along with it. But in opposition to the Inflation Reduction Act signed by President Biden last week, that was just last week, Desiree. Did oh, you know? That was just la- anyway, it, that bill makes landmark investments uh, finally to begin curbing global warming, among other things. Uh, in response to that, Walker said on Sunday, quote, they continue to try to fool you that they are helping you out. Uh, Walker said, uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to find the audio from this. So this is according to the account from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They continue to try to fool you that they're helping you out, but they're not. Because a lot of money, it's going to trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? That's what he said. Yes. Uh, Now, it's possible, according to uh, Wagner at uh, Washington Post, that Walker might have been referring to a provision in the new law that allocates $1.5 billion to the U.S. Forest Service's Urban and Community Forestry Program. 
who knows? I mean, it could also have been one of the other initiatives that are going on in the, from the Biden administration to help plant more trees to sort of counteract the deforestation that has contributed to poor air quality and super hot uh, urban heat island effect in low income communities. Which so, I cities th- like I, Atlanta that, you know, Walker would be representing. Well, yeah, but don't they have enough trees? Already there? I mean, what do they need more trees for? (laughs) It's also possible, by the way, and this might be giving uh, Herschel Walker way too much credit. It could be that he's referring to the carbon offset scams that sort of allow polluters to purchase carbon offsets elsewhere, such as the planting of trees. Uh, to counter the greenhouse gas pollution that those companies are creating. Yeah, I think you're giving him too much credit. Way too much credit for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't no. know that he, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that he would actually grasp how that works. And I think it's, you know, that's, well, anyway, he seems wildly unqualified. Well, he does, yes. Uh, in any event, he's standing by a statement that we have uh, enough trees around here trees. already. Uh, he, he tweeted about it on Monday. Warnock's campaign did not comment on that remark, but a spokesman for the Georgia Democratic Party told the Post that uh, they show that Walker is unprepared to serve in the Senate. He said the few policies that Walker can articulate, like his support for a nationwide abortion ban and opposition to legislation to reduce drug costs for seniors, are harmful to Georgians. But his inability to demonstrate even the most basic understanding of other key issues shows he isn't ready to represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate. Now, this comes after a string of controversies for Herschel Walker, other ones, including that he has a bunch of kids with different women that he had not otherwise spoken about publicly. The Journal-Constitution debunked claims by Walker that he used to work for law enforcement and that he had been an FBI agent. Apparently, none of that is true. Uh, he also reportedly held a gun to the head of a former wife or girlfriend, as I, as I recall. He, he's basically, he's not well. And it's kind of sad that he was put up to run against Senator Warnock, largely because Herschel Walker is a well-known name. He happens to be black in order to run against Warnock, who is also black. But it's kind of amazing that this guy actually still has a shot at winning. Uh, Warnock is leading in the polls uh, and the polling average, but not by much, not by a whole lot. And with Republican Brian Kemp currently leading Stacey Abrams by a much larger margin in the governor's race, suffice to say, it is worth worrying about the Senate race in Georgia this year. Losing that seat would make it a whole lot harder for Democrats to get to the uh, to get the two seats that they need to pick up and somehow hold on to, to, you know, to keep their slim majority in the House at the same time, which is a much tougher climb. And that they would need in order to finally be able to reform the Senate filibuster to allow them to pass federal protections for personal freedoms and reproductive rights in all 50 states next January in order to replace the rights that have been stolen from the people by the GOP's stolen, corrupt U.S. Supreme Court majority when they overturned Roe v. Wade. So, uh, you know, I don't mean to pick on Herschel Walker. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but he is wildly unqualified. And it is remarkable to me that this is even a close contest. Maybe people think that, you know, he'll be so easily beaten. We don't have to discuss that race. 
but I, I think we do, and I think people need to pay attention to that Senate race in Georgia. Anyway, more on uh, the, the climate and the climate denialists like Walker and uh, liars like Zinke. Uh, a little bit later in Desi's latest Green News report. And, yes. and by the way, there's, so we got some big breaking news since we did the Green News report today <laughs> that is big and exciting, yes. actually. Really cool news Yes, that you'll have to stick around to hear. <laughs> we'll just tease you that way. Sorry. Very cruel, I know. Anyway, as to Roe v. Wade, uh, trigger bans went into effect in Idaho, Tennessee, and Texas overnight on Thursday bringing the number of states where abortion has become entirely illegal and or severely restricted now to 14. Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in their Dobbs decision, the one that we discussed on our previous broadcast, which has led to uh, to what our guest on that show, Tom Bonnier, of the data firm Target Smart, described as jaw-dropping spikes in New voter registrations across the country, red states, blue states, battleground states, spikes in voter registrations specifically by women, specifically Democratic women, and specifically young Democratic women, like uh, he told us he has never seen before in modern history, uh, this kind of a spike. So-called trigger bans as of today, now in effect in Idaho, Tennessee, and Texas, are state laws that were created to automatically ban abortion if Roe fell at the federal level, which it now has. Many such bans, as HuffPost notes this morning, including in Kentucky, Louisiana, and South Dakota, automatically went into effect immediately when Roe was repealed back in uh, in late June. Others required 30 days or further certification from the state's attorneys general before they could go into effect. Abortion was already outlawed after the uh, six-week point in Tennessee and Ohio, and Texas had a pre-Roe ban from I don't know, 100 years ago or so that was in effect with uh, no uh, exceptions at all for rape or incest. Now, abortion is completely banned at this point at any point in pregnancy in Tennessee with some very vague exceptions for the life or health of the pregnant person. In Idaho, there is a near total abortion ban also now in effect carrying a punishment of up to five years in prison for any physician who performs an abortion outside of the law's very narrow exceptions. The Texas trigger law doesn't change who can seek an abortion in the state, but it further criminalizes it by threatening physicians who perform the procedure with life in prison and a $100,000 fine. There are no exceptions for rape or incest in either Tennessee or or in Texas, Idaho's trigger ban does include exceptions for rape or incest, but it requires the victim to report the crime to law enforcement before they are able to obtain a legal abortion. So, if you are raped and impregnated by, let's say, your father or your uncle, well, all you need to do in Idaho is get to a law enforcement agency, tell them about it, file a complaint to turn them into authorities, because I'm sure that would be no problem at all in such a situation. And then, if you still have time, you can then go get your abortion in Idaho. Uh, if you're in time, maybe you'll be allowed to have one. Sounds easy, right? 
Uh, Idaho's law has uh, also has exceptions, by the way, if the uh, pregnant person's life or health is at risk, though many such restrictions are vague. And doctors are now all over the country. They're concerned that they could end up in prison for years in Texas for life if the state decides, you know, for any reason that the person's health or life was not actually at risk or if it was not at risk enough. Joe Biden's Department of Justice sued the state of Idaho over its six-week trigger ban earlier this month, arguing it's in direct violation of federal law because the restriction does not comply with the 1986 law, a federal statute that requires all patients receive appropriate medical care and stabilizing treatment in an emergency situation including patients who need abortion care when the life or health of the pregnant person is at risk. Idaho's trigger law originally only made an exception if the life of the pregnant person is at risk, but not if the health of that person is threatened. So as we recently discussed uh, with this uh, case out of North Carolina regarding a new law that uh, one of the Republican state legislators there who actually voted for that law, he now regrets voting for it. A, um, a 19-year-old uh, in that case, a 19-year-old whose water broke at 15 weeks, uh, creating an unviable pregnancy, uh, she couldn't have an abortion until they have a, a fetal heartbeat law in South Carolina. That's what he had voted for. She can't have an abortion until the fetus's heart stops beating in that state or until her life was endangered. So under Idaho's law, just because you might, you know, as in South Carolina with this woman, potentially lose your uterus or develop sepsis that could kill you, until you are otherwise going to die, I guess you have to wait until that moment occurs. Until you're going to die, well, your health, that doesn't matter to the state. And they won't allow, you know, a simple medical procedure that would keep you either healthy or alive. So but the good news is the Biden administration sued a federal judge in, Ohio, in Idaho on uh, on Wednesday, ruled that physicians in the state cannot be punished for providing abortion care to protect the health of a pregnant person. It's a narrow ruling. It's only a temporary one for now, but it was the first victory on the issue in federal court for the Biden administration following the overturning of Roe. And we will take our good news where we can find it these days. Doctors can't be punished for providing life-saving and health-saving care. That is the world that Republicans wanted to bring you, where you could punish and a doctor for saving a life. That's where we are. That is where we are. This, uh, the new, these new trigger bans uh, that went into effect in Texas, Tennessee, Idaho on Thursday, uh, according to uh, Nancy Northrup, the president of the uh, Center for Reproductive Rights, said vast swaths of the nation now, especially in the South and Midwest, are now abortion deserts that for many will be impossible to escape. She said evidence is already mounting of women being turned away despite needing urgent and in some cases life-saving medical care. Adding this unfolding public health crisis will continue to get worse. We will see more and more of these harrowing situations. And once state legislatures reconvene in January, 
She says we'll see even more states implement abortion bans and novel laws criminalizing abortion providers, pregnant people, and those who help them. That, of course, is unless these people are made to pay a very uh, dear and severe price at the polling place this November. If they do, if we see uh, hints of what we have seen so far this year, if that comes to pass in November, some of those state legislatures uh, may not be quite as eager as some think to, you know, come January to come back and pass even harsher restrictions. But we will see just over two months since the Supreme Court's decision to repeal Roe, 14 states now have laws in effect that criminalize most or all abortions. That means tw some 21 million girls and women of reproductive age in the U.S. no longer have abortion care access in their home state. North Dakota's trigger ban goes into effect Friday unless there is court action. Indiana's near-total abortion ban, the first anti-choice legislation that was passed following Roe's demise, that takes effect on September 15. And an anti-abortion measure in Arizona is set to go into effect on September 24. But the state's Republican attorney general requested the courts consider an even stricter ban. So until Democrats... And again, this is Democrats because there are zero, zero Republicans willing to do uh, to do this, apparently, until Democrats can win enough seats in the U.S. Senate to reform the filibuster to make changes to codify Roe v. Wade and the previous uh, constitutional protections that we had into federal law in all 50 states. And they'll need to do that control of the Senate and the House and the White House to do it. Until then, it is now going to be a state by state election by election fight to protect and or restore the personal freedoms that Republicans are now actively and eagerly ripping away from Americans all across the country. As you likely know, by now, uh, on Tuesday, uh, we had that very encouraging news along these lines with voters pushing back at all of this madness uh, with the win by uh, Democrat Pat Ryan in the U.S. House special election in New York's 19th congressional district, uh, winning a, a very swingy, very conservative district that he absolutely should not have won if this was to be a good year for Republicans as so many had been banking on and telling us for so many months now. Ryan ran his campaign almost exclusively focused on reproductive choice and personal freedom, and he was rewarded by the electorate for it. But there were um, some other less marquee races on Tuesday that also bode well for advocates of freedom and democracy. When it comes to, you know, personal freedoms, reproductive rights uh, that did not get the same kind of headlines that Ryan got uh, on the night of and the day after the election. On Tuesday in Florida, there were at least two big results uh, in small races that had to do with abortion rights. James Bush, Florida's only Democratic state lawmaker who amazingly enough, voted in favor of the state's 15-week abortion ban and for their don't-say-gay bill. Well, that guy, James Bush, a Democrat, 
lost his re-election bid on Tuesday to challenger Ashley Grant in the Florida House. That's very good news. And um, some more also out of Florida, also related to abortion rights, and also thanks to voters who showed up to fight for freedoms by voting. As covered by Aisha Kamar Kamar at uh, Daily Coast today, in addition to removing Rep, Florida Rep James Bush from office. Jared Smith, a judge in Florida's Hillsborough County, also lost his re-election. Judge Smith, if that name sounds familiar, he made headlines uh, recently for denying a 17-year-old girl an abortion without parental consent, claiming that her school grades demonstrated a lack of, quote, intelligence or credibility. While judicial races often receive little to no attention, the race between Smith and his opponent, Nancy Jacobs, made headlines nationwide after the decision to deny the teen an abortion. In the uh, case's initial ruling back in January, this was even before the overturning of Roe, Smith uh, became focused on the teen's grades rather than other evidence. In his ruling, he said that while the teen... Uh, said she made mostly B's in her uh, during her testimony uh, at the time of the ruling. Turns out her GPA was 2.0, which was reason enough, apparently, to deny her request for an abortion. To deny her civil rights. Why does one thing have to do with another? Well, according to Smith's actual ruling, quote, the court found her intelligence to be less than average. She claimed that her grades were B's during her testimony. Her GPA is currently 2.0. Clearly, a B average would not equate to a 2.0 GPA. Smith even claimed that the teen should not get an abortion due to the fact that she does not care for younger family members. Uh, But the teen, as it turns out, doesn't have any younger siblings for this claim to even apply in any way. This guy is a judge making these kind of decisions. Judge Smith argued the teen, quote, has never had any financial responsibilities, even so much as paying her own cell phone bills. But the appeals court in this case found uh, at the time of the hearing that the teen worked about 20 hours a week. She had $1,600 in savings. She had two credit cards. She paid for practically everything but her cell phone bills. Now, why any of this is even an issue here? Why this poor girl had to go through this nightmare to get this permission from a judge is almost too twisted for me to even process. Smith, the judge, attempted to discredit the girl to use her grades as evidence. But luckily, the appeals court saw through all of this madness, ruled in her favor. Not only that, but debunked Smith's claims, finding that he abused his discretion in this case. And thanks to voters on Tuesday, Judge Smith is now out of a job. Gosh, I hope he's able to pay his cell phone bills. Are there any medical procedures for men that, you know, one has to prove they pay their cell phone bills first to a court in order to get permission to receive? In any event, Judge Smith is out of a job, again, thanks to voters. But this is the sort of state by state, legislature by legislature, judge by judge effort that we the people are going to need to step up and do right now. I'm sorry. But that's what's called for. I hope you're up for it because we need you in every election, every time at this point. And from the state by state slog for personal freedoms, 
It is now also a state-by-state fight for election rights, it seems. Some good news on, on that front in several states right after this quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Need some good news? Indeed. Uh, I got just the ticket for you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, some good news here. As noted, uh, thanks to all 50 Republicans and two Democrats in the U.S. Senate, until there are enough you know, Democrats in the Senate to reform the filibuster, and while the Democrats also hold the House and the White House, there is going to have to be a state-by-state fight for reproductive rights and a state-by-state fight for elections and voting rights, thanks to Senators Manchin and Sinema blocking passage of the Freedom to Vote Act, which includes tons of much-needed protections for voters and for elections themselves, like preventing gerrymandering in all 50 states and getting dark money out of elections, and, of course, restoring so many of the voting rights protections that the GOP's corrupted and stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court has been busy removing in recent months and years. So to that end, yes, some good news in the fight for voting rights, uh, which is now happening at the state by state level. Uh, But in recent weeks, uh, we've had some some good news there that I haven't been able to get to. One I've been carrying around for a month now. It's sort of becoming a running (laughs) joke. It's the one out of Texas. It's a uh, running joke between us that you keep trying to get this story, I do. but stuff keeps happening. I keep running out of time, and I have to put it off, uh, and so let's not talk any more about it, or I'll have to put it off again. <laughs> uh, from, yes, Desi's home state of Texas, uh, via Mark Elias, the Democratic election law, uh, law attorney, announced on his Dem- Democracy Docket website several weeks ago now. Uh, a lawsuit filed last year on behalf of two Latino civil rights groups in Texas against multiple Texas counties challenging the state GOP's voter suppression law, Senate Bill 1111. The uh, complaint alleged that the new Texas law, which prohibits establishing residents, quote, for the purpose of influencing the outcome of a certain election, unquote, restricts individuals from registering to vote using an address where they do not live full-time, like a university or a college, which the Supreme Court years ago ruled students absolutely had the right to do. Uh, The bill also adds strict photo ID restrictions for voters that use uh, P.O. boxes to register to vote and more. But the federal complaint had argued that the law violates the 1st, 14th, and 26th Amendments, 
Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton uh, and two uh, Texas counties intervened in the case. And the good news, the court granted summary judgment, essentially tossing out the entire case in one fell swoop in favor of the plaintiffs in joining the strict residency requirements in SB 1111. Elias calls a quote, a big victory for students as this Texas law was struck down, noting that the judge's uh, ruling said, quote, the part-time and off-campus college student are undeniably disenfranchised because they are unable to register to vote both where they have moved and where they have moved from. Which was exactly the point that Republicans wanted to put in there. The court is likewise unable to discern where college students should register as the uh, so-called temporary relocation provision of the law is written and the possible repercussions are not just complete disenfranchisement, but also criminal liability. The temporary relocation provision does not overcome any degree of constitutional scrutiny, the judge found. So this is a big win for voters. A big loss for GOP vote suppressors in Texas and, of course, for the state's criminally indicted chief law enforcement officer. That would be Attorney General Ken Paxton. Uh, he intervened to represent the state's attempt at this massive voter disenfranchisement of young voters for some reason. And, of course, uh, while they have uh, the plaintiffs have won for now, the intervener Paxton has now filed with the very right wing Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals seeking a stay in the ruling uh, pending his appeal. So we'll keep our eyes on that in this case, but we will chalk it up as a win for voters for now. Also in another win for voters uh, last week in North Carolina, also via Mark Elias, uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled in a four to three decision. The North Carolina state legislators who were elected under racially gerrymandered districts do not possess unlimited authority to amend the North Carolina Constitution. This arises out of a 2018 lawsuit filed on behalf of the NAACP in North Carolina challenging two amendments to the state's constitution, one of which imposed a photo ID restriction in order to vote, and the other lowered the state income tax. The uh, plaintiff in the lawsuit alleged that these amendments should be struck down entirely because they were originally placed on the ballot by a racially gerrymandered General Assembly, which was comprised of districts that were ultimately deemed to be unconstitutional by a federal law, a federal court. Notably, the proposed amendments were rushed through the legislature after the districts were found to be unconstitutional, but before the remedial elections were set to uh, occur under the new set of constitutional maps. They knew they had no right to be in the state legislature. The Republicans knew they had no right to be in the state legislature. And yet they rushed in to try to pass these constitutional amendments, which are you know, really hard to do away with, to undo once they are passed. The plaintiff contended uh, that the three-fifths majority required in both houses of the state legislature in order to place an amendment on the ballot uh, that would then be voted on by the public would not have been met under constitutionally drawn districts. The state trial court initially struck down 
the challenged amendments in favor of the plaintiffs here, but the state appellate court reversed the lower court's decision and reinstated those amendments. And then the plaintiffs subsequently appealed to the North Carolina Supreme Court. And yes, they won. And by the way, in the opinion, uh, the state court's majority held that multiple provisions of the state constitution, quote, limit the legislator's authority to initiate the process of amending the constitution under these circumstances, meaning that the legislators were elected to a general assembly in which, get this, 28 of its districts were found to be unconstitutional racial gerrymanders. 28. That's a lot. And they couldn't pass these laws because there's a Democratic governor uh, that would uh, veto them. They wanted it in the Constitution. And, well, they're not allowed to. In other words, according to the majority opinion, lawmakers who won their seats through unconstitutional racial gerrymandering cannot then submit constitutional amendments that would permanently disadvantage the same groups that were discriminated against in the racial gerrymandering process. So uh, the uh, Republican House Speaker, uh, who was named in the lawsuit, said he's going to appeal this, of course, to the U.S. Supreme Court. He hopes they will take it, but we will see. In the meantime, a good news verdict out of North Carolina. And finally, a federal judge ruled that Arkansas violated the Voting Rights Act with its six-voter limit for those people Uh, For those who help people to cast ballots in person, which critics had argued disenfranchised immigrants and people with disabilities in a 39 page ruling issued on Friday, the U.S. District Court judge in Fayetteville, Arkansas, wrote that Congress had explicitly given voters the choice of whom they wanted to assist them at the polls when they need assistance, as long as it was not their employer or a union representative. Judge Brooks wrote, quote, Arkansas has determined that voters should only get the assister of their choice up to a point. But he writes, there was no evidence that Congress contemplated this numerical restriction on the right. In other words, the law had been written that you can help uh, voters at the polls, but no more than six people. (laughs) Which is just an arbitrary limit. That has no bearing on on anything. Pulled out of nowhere. Pulled out of Uh, somewhere. Well, there you go. Um, Anyway, uh, this was uh, this uh, the need for for help, uh, for example, helps people who are not proficient in English. They filed a lawsuit after having to deploy additional employees and volunteers to provide translation services because no one person could help more than six people. The judge rejected the argument that the six-vote limit would only present an obstacle to voting in a, quote, far-fetched situation. But the judge, Judge Brooks, said that scenario is far from implausible. Take, for example, a, uh, example, a family where a teenage child is fluent in English, but her parents, older siblings, and grandparents are not. Those family members may all wish to have the English-speaking child translate their voting material for them, But some of the family members would be thwarted by the six voter limit. 
apparently it is found to be an arbitrary limit and uh, MALDEF, the uh, Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund who, who brought the suit here, they also filed a separate lawsuit this year challenging a very similar restriction in my old home state of Missouri because there a person is only allowed to help one voter to cast their vote. It's not immediately clear if the Arkansas defendants are going to appeal this ruling, but my money says they will. Anyway, some good news for now. As usual, we will take what we can get <laughs> wherever we can get it as this state-by-state -state fight continues from Arkansas to Missouri to North Carolina to Texas. Get involved. The state you save may be your own. All you have to do is vote, frankly. Just vote. Actually, you don't have to vote. You have to do more than that. You have to let everyone else you know who doesn't listen to the broadcast. You have to nag them as much as I nag you. Help them because register. Because helping them understand how this works and what they need to do is more important than you think. Talking to your friends and neighbors is more important than you think. As Desi notes in a related-ish story coming up next in our Green News Report, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, before we get to our GNR today, some breaking news this afternoon since we recorded the uh, Green News Report. Some very good news, as far as I can tell, out of California, though it's news that I sort of thought we had uh, had already happened uh, a few weeks ago. California regulators have voted to ban the sale of new cars that run on gasoline as of 2035. You'll only be able to buy an electric car in the state of California, Desi Doyen? Um, pretty much, although it doesn't actually specify electric cars. It specifies zero emissions. So if you can have a fossil fuel car that has zero emissions, then you can certainly try to sell that in California <laughs> in 2035. Good luck. Yes, this is a really big and potentially world-changing decision by the California Air Resources Board, which is appropriately called CARB for mm. short. So the California Air Resources Board voted today to implement what Governor Gavin Newsom, Democratic Governor of California, had mandated a couple of months ago when he said this is the target that we want gotcha. to hit. And he directed the regulators to develop the mechanisms, the nuts and bolts policy to get there. And they so, finally have approved the regulation. You mentioned this is big news for the world. Why is it big news for the world? Because California is one of the world's largest car markets. It is as big as France or Italy, for example, and uh, 16, but anywhere between 14 to 16 other states, possibly even half of the country, other states, will follow California's lead. So this is the Good nuts news. and bolts yeah. part of the policy. That's what they voted on. So other states, like Massachusetts, have also passed a similar target of banning internal combustion mm -hmm. engine cars or emissions by mm -hmm. 2035. So they still have to develop the mechanism to get there. Here's the mechanism. They'll likely follow suit. And we're doing it here in California. So good luck buying a gas car, a new one anyway, in this state after 2035. Very cool. 
As long as a Republican governor doesn't come in and change the regulation. But we'll talk about that. We'll cross that bridge with (laughs) an electric car when we get there. Until then, let's get to it. Our latest green news report. Small green plants lined the bed of what used to be a frontier lake between Switzerland and France. It's existed for 12,000 years, but now it's relegated to just a small stream. More than half of Europe mired in worst drought in centuries. Climate change action is way more popular than Americans realize. Plus, a country famed for its oil resources committed to going to sustainable mobility. Saudi Arabia pushes to become a global electric vehicle leader. Really? Yes. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There is no climate crisis. It is a hoax. And fossil fuels are a wonderful thing. It is 2022, and that is Virginia Congressman Bob Good. Hey, Virginia voters, it's 2022. Can you please vote that guy the hell out of office? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, from heat and drought in the U.S. to heat and drought in China, now we're back to heat and drought in Europe. Yes, unfortunately, more than half of Europe is mired in drought. According to a new report from the European Commission, 64% of the continent is in severe or exceptional drought, the highest category, and it is the worst drought in at least 500 years, and likely more. The combination of record heat and drought has triggered water shortages across Europe and is contributing to a widespread increase in fire danger across the EU. Drought, heat, and fires are all worsened by man-made climate change. Yep, they are. Here in the U.S., new projections from NOAA hold a warning for coastal communities that are seeing flooding on sunny days at high tide. You mean like Florida? Yes. Then I'm sure they'll ignore it. NOAA's latest outlook predicts that sunny day flooding, which today occurs on average nationally about once every two months or so at any given spot, could hit as frequently as every other day by 2050. That's within the lifetime of a traditional 30-year mortgage originating today. New Jersey is crafting new regulations to restrict development in coastal flood zones based on future climate projections, not past flood data. Good. By 2150, sea levels in Jersey are projected to be 5 to 19 feet higher than today. Don't tell Florida. A disturbing new study finds that living near natural gas fracking wells increases the risk of childhood leukemia. Researchers at Yale School of Public Health found that children in Pennsylvania who grew up roughly within a mile of a fracking well are twice as likely as other young people to develop juvenile leukemia. Mm. But some good news. New modeling shows that Democrats' newly enacted landmark climate bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, will not only save consumers money and lower energy costs, but will also deliver massive benefits and cost savings for public health. By reducing fossil fuel air pollution, the law will prevent up to 4,500 premature deaths every year by 2030 and hundreds of thousands of asthma attacks, with the biggest gains in communities of color 
color that are disproportionately burdened by industrial pollution. Well, that is good news. In other news, a new survey finds that climate action is far more popular than people in the U.S. realize. Is it? Two-thirds of Americans support government climate action, but everyone is underestimating how much other people support climate policies, incorrectly believing that their neighbors don't support action. The researchers found this false perception occurs across all states and demographic groups. Even Democrats don't know that climate policy is very popular. And why don't Democrats even know that? The researchers at Boston College partially link it to decades of right-wing media demonizing climate policy. Go figure. And it matters, because when people assume something isn't popular, they don't talk about it, leading to what the researchers called, quote, a spiral of silence that helps obscure the deep, widespread support for climate protection measures across the board. Of course, they don't talk about it. They think others don't agree with them, and they're afraid to speak up about it. Finally, big moves in electric vehicles. Saudi Arabia has launched a major initiative to become a big player in the global electric vehicle sector, investing billions to develop a domestic minerals mining industry and an EV manufacturing and processing supply chain for batteries and cars. Bloomberg News reports that the Petro State hopes other countries will swap out their dependence on Saudi oil for dependence on Saudi battery materials, a sector that China currently dominates. Chalk me up as dubious. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Am I too cynical for thinking uh, Saudi Arabia doesn't actually want to get into the electric car business? Yes, I believe you are. They are investing the money and they want to be your supplier. So uh, they're they really... Wanna, yeah, well, I don't want their cars. <laughs> I don't want them from Saudi Arabia. Emphasis on saw. We no, sh- thank you. We shall see what happens all with right, that aspect. we got to go. Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible thanks only to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate because everything that we do, for good or bad, is thanks to listener support. So thank you for that, bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. What a cool